Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 3-1 pitch to Colton Wong. Here it comes. And he walked him, and this game is over. Colton Wong, bases loaded, walked. The Cardinals take two of three. They score four in the bottom of the ninth, and they win it 6-5. to five. Four in the bottom of the ninth for your cardiac Cardinals as they win again last night over Kansas City. We thought that one was done. Scott Manziara went to bed. He, he fell asleep after the top of the ninth. He said, oh, this one's over. Oh, way to throw me under the bus, Randy. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you. Scotty is here at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. But, Michelle, this is a, a gritty, gutty bunch. They just don't lose. Cardiac Cardinals, Randy, you said it best. People like Scotty, I'm sure, last night went to bed. They thought, man, another one the Cardinals could have had. But this is why you stay up till the end of the game, especially with this team, Randy. No doubt about it. And we're going to touch on this game. We've got a lot to talk about today. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, is going to join us. Blues Poho, Doug Armstrong, Tim Benz is going to preview the Pirate Series for us. Plus, Dario Melendez of Fox Sports Milwaukee to talk about everything that's going on there. It's crazy. Plus, it's Hot Take Thursday, so we've got a lot going on here on this Thursday morning on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, I've got a hot take for you. Oh, Randy, I'm braced for it. Let's go. Yesterday we heard from Doug Armstrong that Vladimir Tarasenko's initial shoulder surgery, his second shoulder surgery, quote unquote, didn't take. So he's going to undergo another shoulder surgery next week. Yesterday, many of us spent the day saying that at least Vladimir is going to be compromised for the rest of his career if this isn't a career ending injury. Michelle, Vladimir Tarasenko is going to have another 35-goal season in the NHL. Really? Yeah. Yep. Okay. He, I love he, this take from you. Uh, he, he got on the Insta last night and said, hey, it, uh, something went wrong with the first surgery. They didn't really get what they were supposed to get. So actually, they're going to fix what they should have fixed back in October. This time, he's going to be back and he's going to score 35 again. That's my hot take. Okay, good take. I did read the statement on Instagram, three-page statement, very thorough. He addressed what was happening. He addressed the haters who are saying the opposite, Randy, of what you're saying. But it didn't make me feel great that he already had a surgery and they weren't able to get get and fix what happened before. But I appreciate his attitude because that's exactly the type of mentality he is going to need to be able to bounce back from this. I can tell you this. In 2003, when I fell off the ladder, I had my initial surgery surgeries on each wrist and then in June actually it was the day in 2004 that the Rams released Kurt Warner I had to go in and get another surgery because my right wrist swelled up like an orange it was unbelievable so they had to take a metal plate out and they had to do another surgery on that and that 
wrist from 2004 to 2020 now has remained just as bad since the day I had that surgery. Oh, Randy, that's not where I thought you were going with this. I thought you were leading me down a path of positivity about how it swelled up to unprecedented sizes, but you were able to overcome it, and that wrist is as good as new. So you're counteracting your hot take here. Kind of. Well, that's just for me. Vladdy's a pro athlete, and he can. That's uh, true. He, he can uh, squat lift his wife. I can't. And my wife is lighter than his, probably, and I can't do that. So. And no, no disrespect, Randy, to your doctors, but I'm sure he has a team of the, le- the leading doctors right. exactly. uh, that, that the organization can present to him. Um, I don't know why they didn't get it right in the first time. Again, I say that with all due respect. I know medicine, <laughs> medicine is really complicated, and I know things like that happen. But I just truly hope for him and for the Blues' sake that he's able to get it right this time and rebound because they're going to need him. And we are going to get Michelle's hot take here, but we want yours too. You can send it to us via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, or you can leave us a mic drop. And that's really what we like to do on Hot Take Thursday is hear from your voice with the mic drop feature with the one. 101 ESPN app. You can download it. Don't cost nothing. Download it for free to your iPhone or your Android device. All right. Hot take Thursday, Michelle. Randy, my hot take is this. This Cardinals team, this 2020 Cardinals team, has all of the makings of one of these special teams that all they need to do is get in and we are going to see some wild and weird stuff happen. I'm starting to get that feeling, Randy, that I've gotten in many a Cardinal seasons that, okay, this is a team that is capable of something. They've got that vibe. I, I totally am on board with your hot take, Michelle, because there's just things that happen for winning teams that you remember. That I, I remember that game against the Cubs where Ryan Terrio gets hit by a pitch to win the game. Uh, Carlos Marmol hit him in 2011, and the Cardinals come back. And last night was just one of those games, Rosenthal. And now you get why Mike Matheny left Trevor Rosenthal in the game, because he didn't have anybody else. And the Cardinals were able to win it in the bottom of the ninth in a game that Mike Schilt says, we well, almost didn't even get started, let alone finish. We have a later report time based on, you know, all the games we're playing. So our media session was... A little before, you know, a lot of guys were here, or a couple of guys were here. And, um, you know, just put it on the radar, and Dex, that was a tough decision for Dex. Um, and I know he took it really serious. He came in, we talked about it, um, and I told him, look, man, I support you completely um, with your decision, and I appreciate the solidarity, and, you know, we, we are behind you. And um, he was appreciative of that. And, um, and again, I respect it and support him. And also Jack. And then I talked to Jack after I talked to Dex. Um, and then at that point, um, the group had a conversation, which I absolutely love. And it's indicative of what just happened on the, on the field. You're talking about a group that's together. And when groups are together, special things happen. And the group had a, had a, and I wasn't in there, wasn't, didn't need to be at all. Um, but the group got together in a clubhouse and they wanted to make a decision about, you know, supporting their, their teammates. Um, and I love that. I mean, you know, we, we, the group decided to play. Obviously, Dex and Jack supported that. But just the thought process of the group being willing to, to collaborate is, is um, impressive, very mature. And the fact that they were wanting to, 
and thought about supporting their teammates was also something I think is really, really important. And they clearly talked it through, decided to, to play tonight, um, which is why our game was delayed a little bit. It was delayed for five minutes, Michelle, and it's great that the club did collaborate and Fowler was a healthy scratch along with Jack Flaherty and the Cardinals released a statement saying that they supported the decisions of Fowler and Flaherty and the Cardinals were still able to come away with a victory. But those are the sorts of things and this has happened before obviously, before we came back from the COVID-19 break where this team showed a great deal of solidarity for each other. Yeah, there's a lot of things to take away from Mike Schilt, what Mike Schultz has said, Randy, but one of the first things I think we should talk about is exactly what you said and about the unity within this clubhouse. And a lot of credit goes to Mike Schilt for continuing to foster that environment, whether it's with ball talk or with what we're seeing last night. This is a group that plays together and plays for each other. And when it comes to something as important as what we saw last night with Dexter Fowler and Jack Flaherty opting to sit out last night because of what's happening in our country and what's happening in their community, to have the entire team say, hey, we stand behind you. What do we want to do here? And when they decided to play, saying, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to win this one for these guys. And to be able to do it, it says a lot about this team. It really does. And when they did decide to play, the Cardinals fell behind. And actually, it was a 3-2 game. It was a game well within their reach in the eighth inning when the Royals put runners on. And Tyler O'Neill, it was a line drive, but it should have been a major league catch. Yeah, um, you know, I just went full throttle at that ball there. Um, kind of had some light trouble, but, you know, I had to, had to send it. Um, and, you know, it just didn't pay off. So, uh, you know, I was itching for the opportunity to get uh, get in there and, you know, you know, uh, just, just rally back with the boys. And that's what we did. So Whit Merrifield gets a double. He's credited with a double on the play to score Nicky Lopez and Adalberto Mondesi to make it a 5-2 game, Michelle. After a home run, by the way, by McBroom, it's a 5-2 game heading into the bottom of the ninth, and everybody is thinking, ah, it's not going to happen. But then the Cardinals start to put things together in a huge walk for Paul Goldschmidt, who is just an unbelievable hitter. And then after Goldie gets his walk, the Cardinals load the bases and then that's when Wong came up and got the bases loaded walk to finish them off at 6-5 to five. Colton Wong well let's talk first for, about Ryan O'Neill because he had a big base hit to tie the game and after O'Neill then Colton Wong came up and got the game winning hit and the or the game winning walk at least and the Cardinals win it in the ninth by a score of 6 to 5 and with the victory the Cardinals improved to 11 and 9 on the season and they have an opportunity now to take care of Pittsburgh in a doubleheader today and really when you look at where they are in the standings have a chance, as Michelle mentioned, and we're going to get Michelle back. She's on remote today. But as Michelle mentioned earlier, this is a team that has a chance to do some special things. As the Cardinals come back to win last night, the Cubs lose. So the Cubs are 18 and 12. The Cardinals only two back, three back on the loss side. And they'll take on Pittsburgh in a doubleheader today before welcoming Cleveland to town. And this is a Cardinal team that has a lot going for it at the moment. They have been great on this homestand, three of four from Cincinnati and now two of three for the Cardinals from the Kansas City Royals. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN coming up yesterday and last night. We're an historic date in the sports history of the United States. And we're going to talk about all the social justice protests that 
came about and the games that were called off. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hot Take Thursday on 101 ESPN, and here are some to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. This one from the 636. Comeback victories like the Cardinals had last night is why it's perfectly acceptable for Fernando Tatis Jr. to swing on a 3-0 pitch. You're right. You never have enough runs these days in Major League Baseball. I'm with you with that hot take. Uh, A couple of others. Tarasenko will not be a blue in 2021. I don't see a scenario in which the blues could not have him on their team with the shoulder surgery and with the seven and a half million dollar a year contract for the next three years. I just don't see a way that even if the blues didn't want to have him on their team, by the way, he has no trade contract, but I don't see a scenario in which another team, another general manager is going to go to his owner and say, yeah, I want to get this guy that has $22.5 bucks left on his contract over the next three years, but has had three shoulder surgeries. I want to trade for him. I don't see owners in the NHL doing that. I don't see general managers with their cap situations doing that. Another one from the 314. Hot take Thursday. Vladimir is done and will not be with the Blues anymore. Well, ditto what I just said. Uh, from the 618. Hot take Thursday. DeWitts are going to move the outfield wall in one foot so they can sweep the Royals and have no close games from this week. Yeah, it'd be different. Harrison Bader would have had that home run if they would have moved it in one foot, right? Uh, another one from the 636. My hot take is it's great to see Mike Matheny still overthinks. Thank you, Mike. That's from Cottleville, Chris. Chris, I don't know what he could have done. The only guy that was going to win that game for him looked at the end of the game like it was going to be Trevor Rosenthal. At least it did to me. When I look at what happened after Rosenthal left the game, it certainly didn't look to me like Rosario had what it took to be a major league relief pitcher last night. So even though they did use a ton of pitchers, I'm not putting that one on Matheny as much as I am putting it on uh, Rosario at the very end. And we appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Let me see. I think I had one more hot take. Uh, Oh, yeah. No, that was it. And we want to appreciate you, 636, uh, for texting in. All right. Last night, yesterday, was an historic day in sports. We were expecting the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic to play an NBA playoff game, game five of their series down in Orlando in the bubble. And just before the game was supposed to start, the Magic were on the court, the officials were on the court, and the Milwaukee Bucks never arrived. And as it turns out, they were protesting what had happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, Jacob Blake shot in the back seven times, and obviously social justice has been a big part of the American landscape over the course of this summer. And actually, Michelle, since the uh, kneeling started for Colin Kaepernick in 2016, but it has reached a fever pitch here. And I want want to start by saying this because I do appreciate people like Dexter Fowler and Jack Flaherty last night using their platform for 
what they think is an advancement to society. When Adam Wainwright uses his platform to feed hungry in St. Louis and across the world or provide water to people throughout Central and South America, I love that. When Chris Long initiates Water Boys or donates a season salary to educating young people, that's a great thing. Matt Holiday has a wing named after him at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. Isaac Bruce still provides here in St. Louis with his foundation, providing scholarships and focusing on health and wellness and nutrition for young people. We know what Kurt Warner does. So athletes are using their platform all the time, and athletes now, and especially African-American athletes in our country, see what they believe is social injustice. And I don't see how a rational person could see it any way other than being social injustice. So they're using their platform to advance society, to make us a better society. The one thing that I I wonder, and I do think the Bucks did a good job of this, Michelle, is a lot of these times when these stances are taken, I wonder what the end game is. And all the Bucks wanted to do was talk to the Attorney General of Wisconsin, a guy named Josh Call, and they did get on a phone call with him, and they wanted to see where the case was against the police officer that clearly on video shot this guy in the back seven times. So if they can affect change positively with their platform, I have no problem with it. And whether I agree or disagree, when I see people out on an overpass spending their Saturdays to make a statement, even though I might not disagree with it, I admire it. I admire people who are willing to make a sacrifice, whether it's with their time or their money, or in this case, with NBA games or and MLB games and MLS and WNBA too. I admire those people making the sacrifice so that they can affect positive change in society. Yeah, Randy, the black community has been telling us that this has been happening for a long time. They talk about the conversations they have in their household about what happens when their children get pulled over by the police. They've been telling us this for a long time. Then we start to see videos of it popping up on social media. It should not become normalized for us to see unarmed black people being shot by the police on our social media timelines, Randy. And It's gotten to the point where the conversation is not enough because you see athletes coming out when they enter the NBA bubble saying, hey, Black Lives Matter, this is a very important conversation for us to continue, whether it's putting things on the back of our jerseys or putting Black Lives Matter on the court. We want to continue this conversation. But then you see what happened with Jacob Blake, and they feel like the conversation is not enough, that they have to continue taking actions. And one of the things people keep saying, Randy, throughout this time, especially white people, is I'm listening, I'm listening. But when a collective group of people is telling you the money does not matter, the quest for a championship that I have put my blood, sweat, and tears into, and I am in a bubble living away from my family, all of the things that I have sacrificed for this quest to win is not important when compared to what is happening in our community and in our country and we are so desperate for people to listen to us and to see what is happening that we're willing to give all of that up so that you can see what is happening and that you can hopefully stand with us so that we can make sure it stops if you weren't listening before you need to be listening now and i respect their actions and it takes a lot to be able to stand up for something that you believe in so strongly and i just appreciate the unity that we saw in the nba and from athletes across sports yesterday and 
that all started with the Bucks and the Magic, and last night it led to all three NBA playoff games being canceled, and the NBA players had a meeting that got contentious. Here's Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. There was some polling in that meeting. This was an emotional meeting. And listen, there are a lot of perspectives on what the right course of action is. Uh, I was told that the Lakers, the Clippers, essentially in an informal poll said they were willing to end the season. These are obviously two teams who uh, believe that they have a chance to win a championship but, but I was told by a high-ranking uh, source in the meeting uh, that this conversation is going to continue um, into tomorrow, that, that certainly players, everybody in the league uh, is in a heightened emotional place right now, um, that no decision has been made about how the league will go forward. I am told that it appears unlikely that the three playoff games scheduled for Thursday here in Orlando will be played. Uh, but that's the league has yet... Um, to announce that they are uh, postponed. But but I'm told that these discussions are going to continue. There were a lot of voices in that meeting tonight from Chris Paul, Andre Iguodala, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Kyle Korver uh, w- went up and talked about the Bucks' perspective uh, in uh, their, their protest today of not playing against Orlando. And Doc Rivers, uh, the head coach of the Clippers, John Lucas, an assistant, uh, in Houston, all spoke tonight, um, and this conversation uh, is going to continue into tomorrow. I'm told that there is an owners' meeting, a board of governors' meeting set for 11 a.m. tomorrow morning. A special meeting that Adam Silver and the league office put together uh, to get the owners talking and trying to trying to figure out a way: is there can we still salvage this season uh, and move forward? So while the players strive for something bigger, the owners want to preserve a $24 billion TV contract they have with TNT and ESPN. And I don't know that that's something that they're capable of doing, especially, Michelle, if LeBron James doesn't want to participate. Yeah, Randy, when you have the Lakers and the Clippers being the teams that voted to walk out on the remainder of the postseason, you're talking LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. And if you're the NBA and your two biggest stars and LeBron and Kawhi say we're not playing, how do you move forward? Can you move forward? Uh, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you want to. Yes, you do. <laughs> you, you certainly do. But if you're the NBA as a whole, you certainly have a situation that's going to be tough to untangle. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It is uh, uh, an historic time in sports in our country. Greg Amsinger, MLB Network, is standing by. He's going to join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us. And Michelle and Randy go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend Greg Amsinger, lead anchor for MLB Network, joins us now as he does every Thursday morning at 7.30, 8.30 in the East. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, how are you? i got to tell you, I'm still wrapping my mind around one of the um, more unique and moving nights I've ever had to go to work. That, that was a, uh, a, a difficult day, but um, a meaningful one to cover baseball last night. And 
Greg, I didn't think, and we were texting about it. We had an inter-show text yesterday, and I was saying there's no way the Brewers will call off their game. And I know that ESPN's Jeff Passan uh, said that too because the Brewers are kind of like the Cardinals in that they have to play a lot of doubleheaders, but they saw something bigger than a baseball game last night. Yeah, and it, it for them, it's their community in pain. And they, they sent Ryan Brown out to the press conference to address the media. And, you know, you can say what you want about Ryan Braun uh, and his track record as being the guy that should be talking about this. But he did make this his, his new home, and he has committed his career to playing in Milwaukee. So to talk about what was going on in that state, I know Milwaukee is in Kenosha, but he understands there are people in pain, and their community is not feeling great right now, and, and it doesn't look great right now. And, uh, you know... You need leadership, and um, you know it's hard to to uh, understand that this isn't politics, and people want to go there and say it is. And you know, it, in many ways, I was rooting for you know once the NBA did what it did, uh, for there just to be something from the league office that said, you know what, let's take the decision out of the players' hands, let's take a p- potential rift out of every clubhouse, and just say all of the games tonight are going to be postponed. Um, I think that would have been easier for for players and for teams. I mean, I, I was thinking about Jason Hayward. Jason Hayward said, I'm not going to play. Matt Kemp, I, I'm not going to play. But their teams moved on to play. Dexter Fowler, I'm not going to play. But their teams moved on and, and played. And um, you, know, you, you just don't know how those teams feel today. You don't know what those conversations were after the decisions of, of playing or not playing were made. So uh, looking back, it's an easy thing to do. I think it had been smoother for everyone if there was like a, a unified statement by the sport instead of teams being on, on the hook to make these decisions. Well said, Greg. And as you mentioned, Dexter Fowler, Jack Flaherty, two of the, the players that opted to sit out last night. But the Cardinals did go on and play. And what a wild game it was. And Randy and I talked at the top of the show. And I'm curious to get your take on this. Do you get that feeling like I do that this is one of those Cardinals teams where something special is possible? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. Because it's got the mix of everything that you're used to seeing from a great Cardinal team, which is is the uh, terrific starting pitcher that they have that they lean on like Chris Carpenter. They have the, the young fireballer that's coming up that everyone can't take their eyes off of. I mean, what Reyes looks like right now is just, he's so good. He's in great shape, by the way. Then you get the young position player who looks like he's about to be a phenom. And you could say what you want about that game last night. It was a mess. We could talk about it for 20 minutes. I felt like I couldn't talk about it enough. Um, I was 33 pitches for a closer. And I know, I get it, it's Trevor Rosenthal, and he's having to come back here. But the Kansas City Royals can't lose a game like that. In a 60-game season, they can't lose a game like that. 5-2, one out away, and Mike Matheny, dear friend of mine, comes out to pull this guy. You can't lose that game. What's overlooked is the at-bat of the game, which was from Dylan Carlson. And when you have a young star, that's what we're used to seeing from Cardinal teams that are great in the past, that next young great player. And he's that, man. I mean, that at bat was epic. He followed off every good pitch Rosario threw at him. And, and, and Rosario's best at bat in terms of him being on the mound was against Dylan Carlson. If you go back and look at the pitches he threw, the most quality pitches he threw were to Carlson, and he fouled him off, and he spoiled him, and he took the pitch off the plate. 
that was a great at-bat, and they've got all the mix right now of one of those teams that we're used to seeing in St. Louis. All the components are there, but Dylan Carlson, to me, is it's the biggest factor for that. Greg, you've seen Paul Goldschmidt at his best. You've covered him for his entire career. We've seen him, we've focused on him since he got here. How do you think Goldschmidt's performing relative to his best years in Arizona? Uh, I think he's steady Eddie. I mean, the ballpark does play in, into performance. Half of his games at Chase Field, um, I mean, you have to understand, more home runs flew out of there the last two years in Coors Field. And we talk about Colorado as this place. Oh, you can't look at DJ LeMahieu's numbers. And Good luck, Yankees. He's not going to be the hitter he was in Colorado. Timeout. No. Arizona is a launching pad. And no one talks about the splits there. So when he left Arizona to come to St. Louis, I knew there was going to be a drop-off in numbers. I knew it, just like there was with Matt Holliday when he came over. His power numbers weren't exactly the same. He wasn't a 40-homer guy. So I'm, I, I think I am seeing from Paul Goldschmidt what I expected to see from Paul Goldschmidt. Leadership, consistency, a strong defender at first base, grinds out every at-bat. The thing that I haven't seen is this you know, four months or three months stretch he had a couple years back with Arizona where he was lost. I don't know if you remember that. Paul Goldschmidt at one point was like the worst hitter in baseball bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like 103, right? Yes, it was terrible. He went through a stage that sometimes these superstars go through where for the first time they face like, I'm not very good adversity. And Jose Ramirez went through it after he was an MVP candidate. And he finally got it back. Goldie got it back. We haven't seen him that lost in a Cardinal uniform. He has been everything John Mozella could have could have asked for. He's been terrific. Greg, we're about at the halfway point of this weird shortened season. And Randy and I discussed this yesterday. There's not a lot that we really know to be true about most of these teams, especially in the National League, other than the fact that the Dodgers are really good. But what do you know to be true in the NL? Uh, so many things. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the best player in baseball. I, I know, I know Mike Trout, loyalist. You should roll your eyes, be upset, because I get it. Mike Trout still is that guy. Um, but as of right now, the most talented player in the game is Fernando Tatis Jr. I've never seen a shortstop play like him. The only comparison you can have is Alex Rodriguez. And if you look at age 21 season, I don't know. I mean, through this many games, Fernando Tatis looks pretty good, and he's a better defender than A-Rod ever was. And A-Rod wasn't a slouch at short when he came out with the Mariners. Um, I, when you look at back ends of bullpens, the, the, the Brewers somehow figured out to get the best one again. Josh Hader hasn't given him a, a hit, I think. And then you got Devin Williams, the local St. Louis product, with the craziest K per nine. He's got like 25 strikeouts, five walks in 17 innings. This kid is electric. The back end, once again, Craig Council's got the best outgetters in the back end. Um, the Reds are, are a huge disappointment. I mean, he spent all this money. And, and to be that far under 500 in a shortened season, when you were designed to have a DH, almost as if they knew there was going to be a universal DH. It's just really a bummer. Castellanos looked like the MVP first 10 games. He's cooled off. To me, they're the biggest disappointment in the National League. Um, JT Realmuto must be locked up by the Phillies. He is their most important player. Bryce Harper looks great. Totally get it. Having JT Realmuto on the on-deck circle is the reason he's getting pitched to. This, this guy is so important to the Phillies. They have to pull a Mookie Betts. You cannot let this guy get the free agency because he's going to get paid. And look, people would say what they want about the Mookie Betts contract. There was no one 
negotiating against the Dodgers, and they paid well over $300 million to keep him. It's not going to be over $300 million to keep Real Muto because he's a different player, but the Phillies must keep him. They cannot let him get to free agency. Rick Porcello's done. That's another thing I learned. That's amazing. Uh, I love Rick Porcello. He's done. I don't think Michael Walk is done. I think Michael Walk is a reliever. Michael Walk is going to come back from injury. He's going to be a fastball changeup guy. He's going to be effective. But I, I, Rick Porcello does not have that option. He does not have the stuff to be a reliever. So to see a guy that won a Cy Young not too long ago, ERA over six, he can't get people out. I, I, I hate saying it. I like him. I know him personally. I, I don't think he can pitch anymore uh, in the big leagues. And the Washington Nationals starting pitchers, while their ERAs aren't terrible, Strasburg's on the shelf. Um, they rode him too hard. And, and there's always an aftermath of doing that. And you could say, well, at least they got their world, world championship. You're right. Totally get it. But we haven't seen the Red Sox recover ever, and, and I don't know if we'll ever see the Red, Red Sox starting pitchers recover. What is Chris Sale going to be like when he comes back? And Nathan Avaldi is, is nothing like he was when he came out and he threw 200 innings or 200 pitches out of the bullpen in the World Series. So I don't know what the aftermath is of riding your starting pitchers so hard to win a World Series, but you're never going to see the dominance of the big three from the Washington Nationals, in my opinion, like you saw in their performance to get them that world championship. So those are just a few things that I know in the National League. That's awesome. Hey, Greg, before we let you go, you have uh, touted the Tampa Bay Rays now for the entire year, during regular spring training, during summer camp, brought to us by Camping World. And for anybody who grew up in St. Louis watching those Whitey Herzog teams and the, Mm. the brilliance of Herzog and the brilliance of his ability to put a team together, the Rays are really close to that. The, the way that they approach baseball is something that old-time Cardinal fans, I think, will really appreciate when you get the opportunity to see Tampa Bay. I love that comparison. I actually never thought of that um, because you had a manager that was so you know, integral in, in the roster, which is not the case here with Kevin Cash. But the brilliance of Kevin Cash is, like, like Whitey Herzog, it, is you got to buy in to what we're doing here. And if you don't buy in, there's no room for you had a great conversation with Kevin Kiermeyer, and I asked him about it. And he said, look, you can't be a Tampa Bay Ray if you're upset and you hit second in the lineup yesterday against the Yankees. You went four for four with two homers, and then you show up the next day against the same team, and you're hitting eighth, or you're not in the lineup. He's like, you cannot be upset about that. You've got to let, leave it out the window. You cannot be mad when you have more note cards in your back pocket than you ever had than when you try to cheat on, on a math test in seventh grade. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? You've got you, you to buy in to what the Rays do, and it works. And all the guys they have, sometimes it's like a reclamation project kind of guy, and it always pans out for them because they're, the front office lets them know, the players, we're going to put you in the best position to succeed. Just trust us, and you'll love being a player here. Carlos Pena told me about it. I've talked to Evan Longoria about it. If you buy in, you love it there. And certain players didn't love it there. Even though B.J. Upton had success, he did not like it. He wanted to hit in the same spot in the lineup every single day. He did not want to be moved around. He's a great center fielder defensively. And it didn't work out towards the end. So, They've got a whole roster of guys. The brand of the Rays has been built for a while, and they know it works. The players know it works. So they're all in, and it's dangerous to watch this team. They're going to mix and match the bullpen. They've got a, a three-headed monster. Glass now's performance the other day 
with all those strikeouts, was as important to the Rays as Lucas Giolito's no-hitter was to the White Sox. If those two guys pitch like aces, those two teams are going to try and be close to the World Series, and I think they will be. The Rays, they're going. They are the team in the American League. Great stuff, as always. You're the man. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Have a great day, Greg. All right, guys. Good to hear your voices. See you. Thanks. See you later. That is Greg Amsinger, product of the Lindenwood University and St. Louis, joining us on 101 ESPN. Michelle, hot take. Fernando Tatis Jr., the best player in baseball. I like it. Fire take. Yeah, hot take Thursday on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Text 65780, that's the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle and Randy on this Hot Take Thursday. You can send us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on your 101 ESPN app. And Michelle, it's time for Take It or Leave It. You ready to go? I am ready. All right, uh, here is my first one. Serena Williams is not the favorite and not the number one seed at the U.S. Open that starts next week at New York. Take it or leave it. Not being the number one seed and not being the Vegas favorite will motivate Serena to come away with another U.S. Open championship. I'm going to take it, Randy. She's motivated even when she is the number one seed. So imagine that competitive fire when she's not. Definitely take it. Yeah, she's 39 years old, but she is still the greatest female tennis player in the world. Probably the best tennis player in the world. And I think it would be foolish to bet against her. She's one of the great athletes of our generation. Absolutely. So I do not I do not bet against her ever. All right, Randy, I have one for you. You and I are both born in August. We are summer babies. We love the summertime. But take it or leave it. Bug bites are the only bad thing about summer. Yeah, I'll take that. Especially like we were out last week, we ate outside, and I had mosquito bites on my ankles, which is really irritating. The worst. Yeah. I got one last night, and I'm thinking summer is perfect in almost every way. Bug bites are the worst part of summer. It really is. And even if you spray off, it doesn't help. No. Sometimes I feel like off attracts them more. No disrespect to off. No, I think it does. (laughs) I, I, I don't know what the secret is to avoiding mosquitoes aside from staying inside. But I went for a bike ride yesterday when it felt like 100, and I thought it was glorious. Well, that's because, Randy, I know that you're doing that that bike ride at a high speed. You've got the breeze going. I'm sure it was great. Yeah, and I stayed hydrated. I didn't have any cramps last night. I didn't wake up in the middle of the night with a charley horse and screaming, which is a positive. (laughs) Does that happen often? Uh, It used to. I hydrate better now. Less a painful lesson learned. Yeah, I'm sure your wife loves that that you were ah. screaming from a Charlie horse regularly in the middle of the night. Exactly. Scott Manziara is here with your text six five seven eight zero. What do you got? All right, from the six one eight. Take it or leave it. Tatis Junior will not be a Padre his whole career. Ooh, good question. I'm Michelle. I'm going to take that. I'm going to say that he winds up with a different franchise by the time it's all said and done. Yankees or Dodgers? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to take it because I just always assume a player of that caliber will end up on one of those two teams. Do you think right now there's any regret among the people in the Cardinal front office that saw his workouts or decided to not sign him? I think publicly they'll say we like our team. I think privately they're watching him and how electric he is and saying, man, maybe we should have reconsidered that one. 700 grand. We could have had him for 700 grand. And his father wanted him to land with the Cardinals. Yeah, unbelievable. 
This one from the 314. Take it or leave it. Alex Petrangelo will be here next year. And the two players that won't are Jaden Schwartz and Jake Allen. I am going to leave that. I believe, this is my personal opinion, I believe that Jaden Schwartz has turned into a necessity here. The natural aging process has made Alexander Steen decline. And a few years ago, the Blues might have had the best left-wing setup in the National Hockey League with Steen, with Schwartzy, and with Fabry. But with the decline of Steen and Fabry not working out, do you really want your top left wing to come from among Zach Sanford or Sammy Blay? I don't think the Blues can do that. And here's a guy... Schwartz, he scored 22 goals for the Blues. He is defensively conscious. He plays well, scores big goals. We know he can do it in the playoffs. If I were the Blues, I'd be more inclined to trying to extend Jaden Schwartz rather than jettison him. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to leave it as well just because I think after hearing Doug Armstrong speak yesterday, he made it pretty clear that you have to come to an agreement on a number with Petro first. And I don't know if the number, even if they could settle on one that might be friendly, it might still be something that's out of reach for the Blues. Yeah, and we're going to talk to Army later, but we can tell you this. The Blues don't know. They they just don't know if they're even in the same zip code financially with Alex Petrangelo, let alone the same ballpark. Right. This one from the 314. Take it or leave it. If the Cardinals do make a move at the deadline, it will be actually trading a piece away from their organization. Interesting. I'm going, if they do make one, I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll say that they will do something to replenish the system and move some of their depth, kind of like the Martinez and Rosarena for Libertor trade, yeah. so that they could enhance their organizational depth. If they do make one, I could see that being the sort of deal they would make. I'm going to leave it just based on what I know to be recent history about their activity at the trade deadline, especially one of this nature that's so uncertain. Yeah, and one thing they've always done that they really don't need to do this year. Every year they seem to have traded for a relief pitcher, but they don't need to do that. Even last year, they traded for Tony Singrani, who never pitched for them, but they did make a trade for a relief pitcher. This one comes from the 636. Take it or leave it. Dylan Carlson will be known more for his glove by the end of his career than his bat. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. Good switch hitter, good eye, and you just have to give him the opportunity, as the Cardinals are giving him the opportunity, to grow into his role. This is a really hard thing that he's doing. Played 18 games at AAA last year. Didn't play a game this year from between spring training and August. So he's really starting from scratch in terms of seeing live pitching and seeing, seeing major league pitching that's at midseason form. This is not an easy task for a young hitter or any hitter. It's not. And Randy, man, he's had some chances with the bases loaded, hasn't he? He really has. And every time I just wait for something magical to happen and I realize this is a young player. I should not put that pressure on him, but it just it feels like it's going to happen. I mean, what has he had five opportunities now? Yeah. And he's it'll happen eventually. It'll happen eventually. (laughs) By the way, Michelle, this one from the 618. Guys, to avoid mosquito bites, try Thermacell. It looks kind of lame, but people swear by it. And no gross spray. So Thermacell apparently is the play for mosquitoes. Okay, I'm all over it. This is why we have the best listeners in sports, Randy. They know about about everything. This one from the 636. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals will be in first place for at least one day in the rest of the season. I'm going to take that. Cubs are kind of scuffling. At at least. Cubs are... I didn't think it had happened unless they dealt with injuries. And Michelle, not only are they dealing with injuries, 
I didn't see what Chris Bryant did last night, but Chris Bryant was hitting like 135. It's unbelievable how much that team has struggled. And we went down their stats yesterday as an OPS team, but offensively they're struggling. They, they're pitching. Last night they lost seven to six. They lost to the Tigers the night before that Thanks. seven to one. So uh, they've given up seven to the White Sox. They gave up ten to the White Sox over the weekend. They because of their organizational depth just can't do what the Cardinals were able to do in in overcoming COVID and the Cubs are trying to do it in overcoming injuries. And the Cardinals are only two games back right now. It's absolutely within their reach. Yeah, and some of the Cubs injuries, uh, James, the St. Louis U product, put on the 60-day DL from the 45 because of his injury. Chris Bryant is on the uh, 10-day IL now because of a sprained left ring finger. Steven Sousa is out. So they've got some issues. They just got Jose Quintana back. So they've got some injury issues that they need to deal with. That is Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Next up, Brad Miller has been a revelation for the Cardinals. How can he help things out, and what's that do for Matt Carpenter? Plus, more on last night's Cardinals' dramatic victory over the Royals on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 3-1 pitch to Colton Wong. Here it comes. And he walked him, and this game is over. Colton Wong, bases loaded, walk. The Cardinals take two of three. They score four in the bottom of the ninth, and they win it 6-5. to five. Dan McLaughlin will be with you at 10 o'clock. Scoops with DannyMac.com. And, of course, last night you heard him and Brad Thompson on FS Midwest with the Cardinals 6-5 victory over the Kansas City Royals. It's 8.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. By the way, Blues President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong, joining us in about 10 minutes here on Carriker and Smallman. Michelle, the Cardinals now 3-1 and one in final lap bad decisions this season. Four and two in games that uh, have been won in comeback fashion, and that is their second walk-off of the season here at Bush Stadium. Cardiac Cardinals, Randy, don't count them out. No, you never can. And last night, and the, the game last week against Cincinnati, too, their first walk-off of the year, I gave up on that one. And because of that, I didn't give up last night. And they score four in the bottom of the ninth, and they reward me. So I'll stick with them now for the rest of the season. You should. And how many times have you told people all this team needs is a hot streak? And it feels like they're right in the middle of it. I mean, if you can take these two from the Pirates, you're looking at, what, seven of nine? Right. And you do that. The key for me is to get six or seven games over 500. I believe if you do that in the National League, you're a lock for the playoffs. So if the Cardinals can get to 33 and 26, if they can get to, at the end of the season, uh, 34, 26, 35, 25, then they'll probably win the division. Meanwhile, they've done it with all of these COVID issues, and there are a lot of doubleheaders coming up. But so far... Tyler O'Neill, who had the game tying hit last night, says the Cardinals are doing okay under the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, look what we've done already this year. You know, getting getting laid off in spring and then finally getting started up again over here in St. Louis and then, um, you know, getting laid off again. That's that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the boys. Um, no, but getting laid off again mid, uh, you know, mid-form there about a week or so in. You know, we're just out here scrapping. Um, yeah, all of us, one through nine, bullpen starters, we're all scrapping, so... Um, again, you know, collective efforts is what gets our wins, and uh, that's what we're doing right now. 
Michelle, for a Tony La Russa team, it was play a hard nine. Now it's, we're scrapping. We're scrapping, Randy. <laughs> and off, offensively, they do grind. And that's one thing that Colton Wong, and he didn't always do this, but he's taken that approach to heart. And, you know, this whole team, um, you know, our whole motto is to grind pitchers out. You know, we want them to be tired. We want them to understand that, you know, they face the St. Louis Cardinals. And um, we've done that, you know, from the get-go, from when we returned. You know, we've been working pitchers. And, um, you know, it's just a great all-around you know, message we're sending to the rest of the league that, you know, no matter who we face, you know, we're going to grind you out. We might not get as much hits or runs, but, you know, you're going to leave this game feeling like you, you know, pitched a full game. And a perfect example, Michelle, of that grinding was Wong's game-winning walk. You know, like the previous, you know, walk-off I had, it's just one of those where, you know, when you're leading off, you always have a chance of showing up, you know, in a big situation. You know, amazing at bat by Dylan, that last one, you know, to work him. And, you know, I just knew that with, the base is loaded. I wanted to make this guy work. Uh, I wanted to get him in the zone where I could, you know, get a good swing off. If not, I wanted to make him, you know, pitch hard. And the Cardinals, they made Trevor Rosenthal throw 34 pitches. And when you get to that point in a, a game and you make a closer get to that many pitches, and Rosenthal pitched really well until he was worn out and the Royals didn't have anybody. Mike Matheny didn't have anybody to put in there. But when you can grind a reliever like that, you have a great chance to win. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of Cardinals hitters do that, Randy. Take really smart at-bats. How about Goldie? Full, uh, I believe in the seventh, a couple of full-count situations where he kept fouling it off, just making that pitcher work. This is exactly what this offense is doing. They are grinding out these pitchers, and it's it's kind of a war of attrition at that point. And it's amazing, Michelle, to see what Brad Miller has become for the Cardinals. And he was 0 for 4 last night until we get to the ninth inning. And then when you need him to step up, a ground rule double after Goldie's walk. And he wound up scoring the Cardinals' third run, fourth run. And I, I keep using the word revelation, but he always seems, at least since he's gotten into the lineup, to come up with that big hit or the big walk when the Cardinals need it the most. And we, the, it's a devil magic thing. The person that we would have probably least put our money on is the guy that's coming through in clutch situations and continues to produce for you. So we've got Tyler O'Neill coming up with the game-tying hit last night. We know that Dexter Fowler is going to play. When Bader is feeling better, he's going to play. We know Dylan Carlson's going to play. You've got Miller. You've got Tommy Edmond playing third. So if Miller is your DH and Edmond's playing third and the Cardinals love him at the top of the lineup, where does that leave Matt Carpenter? Does it leave him on the outside looking in? I would say yes at the moment. I know that the Cardinals have so much respect for him that they'll get him his at-bats, but he does need to start producing. And Brad Miller has produced so far. And to this point, Carpenter, who is okay Analytically, in terms of the in terms of the stat cast numbers, mm-hmm. he's okay. But you look at the overall production, and he's hitting two eleven, and he's got an OPS of six eighty two, and he's got one home run and three doubles. He's just not. And by the way, that's in fifty seven at bats. He's just not producing at the level the Cardinals need a middle of the lineup bat to produce. And I know they do respect him, and they do want to get him his reps, and you know he'll find those opportunities. But in a short, we're sitting here on August twenty seventh, Randy. They've got to ride the hot hands and the hot bats yep. while they have them. You absolutely have to. So, 
it's going to be interesting to see how much of a, again, here we are, and the Cardinals aren't halfway through the season, but baseball is. But do you have time to give people a leash when they're hitting 211? And then you look at a guy like Miller, who's hitting 333. He's got a couple of home runs. He's got 11 RBIs. In 39 at-bats, he's got that sort of production as opposed to Carpenter's 57 at-bats and not nearly the level of production. 11 RBIs for Miller, and I know RBIs are a product of who you have on base, but 12 and 57 at-bats for Carpenter, 11 and 39 at-bats for Miller. And the bottom line is, as Tony always said, to score runs. If you were writing names in pen, Randy, to fill out your lineup based on who you thought was going to produce for you, wouldn't Miller be pretty close to the top of that list? Game one of the playoffs. Let's couch it that way. Yeah. I have Miller in my lineup as my DH. How can you not at this point? How can you not put him there? Yeah. And, And that's at this point being August 27th. But again... Does Carpenter get three or four games in a row to right himself? That's, I guess, the biggest question that we have and that Mike Schilt and John Mosellock and Michael Gersh have to answer. But I'm not willing to find that out uh, at the expense of someone who has provided a spark for my team and is producing. And at the expense of potentially winning games because every win is so precious. It's worth 2.7, actually. (laughs) It's a very precious commodity. (laughs) It is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we are going to have an end-of-season conversation with the Blues President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong. Army next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. St. Louis Blues have conducted their exit interviews with the players and they're getting ready for an offseason, a length of which they don't know. And the Blues' Poho, president of hockey operations and general manager Doug Armstrong, joins Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, your home of the St. Louis Blues. Army, I know you've done a lot of talking over the last few days with the media. We appreciate you taking this time with us today. <laughs> How's your voice? Uh, we're okay. We're okay. Thanks for having me on. Army, well, welcome back to St. Louis. Um, from everything we're hearing, the bubbles environment wasn't necessarily ideal. So can you take us through what it was like living in the bubble? Yeah, I, I thought the NHL uh, did, did a great job. Uh, it, security was, was very tight. So when you got into the bubble, you, you, uh, you know, I think I said earlier that I would be shocked if there was uh, one positive case uh, when we got in there just because of the, the stringency it is and the difficulty is to get in. And when you're in there, it's impossible to get out. And uh, so they, they did a really good job. There's no, obviously when you're in a hotel uh, environment for a month, there's you run out of things to do. But you know this is this is the new world, and uh, you know we get paid to to, to play hockey and, and work in hockey. So uh, I don't think it was anything that, that certainly factored into to how you how you how you perform. Army, I know you had a lot of work to do, and you were there for business. But what did you do to pass the time? Well, we our hotel was connected actually to the arena, so there was you know initially when there was twelve teams there, there was three games a day, so you could just walk over, watch a couple of periods, go back to your room, uh, do certain things, make phone calls. So the, we actually watched a lot of hockey uh, live, uh, which is something you don't really get to do without extensive travel. So that that was actually quite nice, uh, and you just find ways to, to to get through a day, and uh, <laughs> you know watched a lot of the Golf Channel and uh, just. 
you know, you, you just made it, made the best of it. Army, the big news coming out of yesterday's media session was the further surgery that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to undergo next week. Obviously, we all thought that Vladdy was going to come back in March before the league was shut down. And then we saw him in training camp and he looked good. At what point did you get a sense or did Vladdy relate to you that that shoulder was not where it should be? Uh, I, I, under, I got, I got information probably just, just, to, you know, when we were in the bubble that it wasn't feeling as good as it could, they were working to, to do different things to, to let, uh, get him to play. And then, uh, he just felt he couldn't go any further. So we, we got, we shot some, uh, imaging of it, got him back home and, uh, you know, it's, it, the news wasn't uh, what what he'd wanted to hear, what we wanted to hear. So we're going to get back in there and and do some more work on that shoulder and get him back to 100 percent as quick as possible. And he actually issued a, an Instagram post last night saying that it just wasn't the, the initial surgery. Uh, apparently, wasn't what the doctors thought it was going to be. So, with that being the case, what's your confidence level in him being able to come back and be maybe not even what he was, but a 30, 35 goal guy? Well, my confidence level is high that he's going to put the work in and that uh, that he's going to prepare. Um, you know, you the information is is positive that if he gets this done and, and it heals correctly, that he should there shouldn't be any issues. It is the third surgery on the same shoulder in, in you know three years and around three years, and he's, he's closing in on thirty, so or if not thirty, so it's you know it's uh, th- things aren't it's just not a perfect situation. But if someone uh, uh, can do it. I know Vladdy can because of the work ethic he, he has and, and what he'll do to prepare to, to, to give himself the best opportunity. Army, we knew that a couple Blues players had tested positive for COVID before entering the bubble, and we know that that virus infects every person or affects every person in a different way, but how did it impact the way that the guys were able to condition to get ready to go? Well, when when a player was uh, tested positive, they went to quarantine, and quarantine is basically go to your home and then don't leave, get uh, you know eat there, get your food delivered, whatever you have to do. But also, it's not to train. Uh, let let that sort of you know the, the, you're not doing yourself any good if you're riding the bike or or doing extensive exercises when when you have the virus. So they basically had to shut down for you know for the better part of a couple of weeks, and so whatever gains they had made, they they had taken a step back. Uh, and so I think it affected uh, their, their preparation mostly for for the, the third phase when we got here, uh, and then. Uh, but I, I think we were we were close to to when, once we got through the the round robin games and we got into Vancouver. I think the uh, we we were ready to go, and uh, it was just sort of a preparation. I think the virus it. It's it's the the unknown of the virus, and I think it had it had an adverse effect on on the players that didn't have it. Also, you're you have a young as they said we had four or five players that uh, had children uh, during the the pause or were going to have children, and you know you're worried about your family how it's going to affect you, and, and no one wants to take anything home, and so there was just a there was apprehension around our team. Now I'm going to say I don't think that we were any different than the other team. Uh, I, I'm just going. I can just relate the experience that I felt around our team. I thought when we got to Edmonton, uh, a lot of those things went away because the guys knew that that you know if they got it, they were okay with it, but they didn't have to worry about spreading it to to uh, 
you know, infants and loved ones, wives. And uh, so I think they're, I thought when we got to, when we got to Edmonton, a lot of those things that uh, uh, we carried with us uh, evaporated. Doug Armstrong, Blues President of Hockey Operations, GM with us on The Voice of the Blues, 101 ESPN. And Army, it's interesting to look at this team and hear your players talk about how they were really energized because of their style of play by having a crowd and how not having a crowd might have affected them more than other teams because of the style of play. Do you buy into that? Uh, yeah, I don't want to question what they're saying. So if, if they if they felt that, uh, that that affected them. Uh, at the end of the day, though, you're... There, there were 24 teams now. There now there's eight. Uh, whether that that was there or not there, you have to find a way to overcome that if you want to be successful, and uh, you have to adapt. And uh, uh, we obviously didn't adapt well enough to 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 beat a, a young Vancouver team, and they're they're playing and we're not. So I, I'm sure there are things that affected everyone. Whether it was bubble life, not playing in front of fans, you can go through a a whole list of things that were different, but I go back to it was no different for us than it was for Vancouver. Uh, Speaking of that, Army, uh, Craig Bruby in his postseason pressers was talking about how the only way that you can win in this league, and especially in the postseason, is is if every guy is ready to go and gives you his best every single night. And he looked back to last season and said that's the reason you were able to win the Stanley Cup is because everybody was on board every single night. Why do you think it was difficult to capture that cohesion this season, this postseason? Uh, I just think our, our mentality going in, as I said, we, we, we seemed to get stronger mentally when we got there. Uh, I think teams were stronger mentally going in there than we were. So I think that that had, that had something. I think that uh, our preparation, uh, you know, whether it was the players that, that, that might have had COVID or other players, we weren't in the same conditioning level we were in the past. And um, I think there's a whole host of, of things that went on. But if you if you just break it down in the, in the simplest form, you know, you look at hockey and probably four segments, uh, you have five-on-five play, both ends of a special team and goaltending. And I thought five-on-five play, I thought we were very good in the Vancouver series, and I think they would probably have had the edge on the other three. And if you went three out of four, you're usually going to win a series, and that's what happened. Do you believe that those other three items, by the way, which were really good during the regular season, are they easily fixable with what you have on hand in terms of personnel? Well, I, I think they are, and uh, uh, I, again, we have to we have to view what what happened in Edmonton as part of our season, and we have to view the seventy games as part of our season. Also, they're they're though they felt like two distinct uh, years, they they weren't they're were all uh, rolled into one. So there's a lot of positives that we got out there. I can take out of of the seventy games, uh, but when you leave on a sour taste, you you I, I think you know you don't want to overreact to things that we saw there. Uh, but you don't want to under underreact either. So I think right now what we're doing is we're now pro scouting meetings, and obviously I had our staff watch our games. I want to get their viewpoint on on our team play. I want to get their viewpoint on individual players. Uh, Craig and I have had one conversation. We're gonna have many more about about what he saw, what 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 we saw as management. Uh, so there, we 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 can't just 
we won't just say, well, it was just a, a strange environment and, and, it, and there's nothing there we can gain from our failure. We have to learn from it and we have to get better. Army, obviously, because we're media and you're Doug Armstrong, we're contractually obligated to ask about Alex Petrangelo, <laughs> which we will in a moment. But I just said on the air, because of what's happened, Steiner getting older, Fabry not working out, uh, you guys at one time, I think, had the best set of left wings in the league. But now with those two not working out, with Patrick Maroon gone, I look at Jaden Schwartz is a really important guy for your team. Can you give us an, an assessment from your perspective with, with your trained eye of what Schwartzy brings to your team and his importance to that group? Well, I, I would say, you know, leaving Edmonton, I thought our four best players were Shen, Schwartz, Perron, and O'Reilly. Uh, all, for all different reasons. Uh, but but Jaden is a player that uh, you know, he just plays one way, he plays the same way all the time. He plays with detail. He plays with energy. Uh, he gets scoring opportunities. Sometimes they don't go in, but he's someone that you know what you're going to get. It's not. He's not a player where you where you're sitting upstairs or probably if for Craig behind the bench. You go, well, what Shatter or what Swartz you going to bring me tonight? You know what you're going to get. I think he's a very valuable player for us. And 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 I agree with you. Our our, uh, our left wing is is probably our our youngest position with with Sanford Blaze. And, and Barbashev there with Swartzy. And, uh, you know, it's a, such a great opportunity for Sanford and Blaze uh, to to take a large chunk of a, of a group moving forward that uh, I'm, I'm hoping they can do it. Uh, you know, and Steiner, to, to your point, uh, you know, he, I think he's coming back for his 16th year. So if we're, we, we need to rely on Steiner to bring a certain thing to our group, but it's not what he brought the eight or nine years ago. Army, how would you evaluate Justin Falk's first season with the Blues? Uh, it certainly wasn't what uh, you know. The if you just look at uh, ice time production, it's not what what he uh, had hoped for, and, and not what we had ho- hoped for. But saying that too, I, I'm not sure that when, when he got here, we had a we had a plan to give him something he could sink, sink his teeth into. Meaning, okay, Justin, th- this is your job. This is what you're going to do, and this is what we need you to excel at. And and part and that certainly falls on us not giving him. Uh, uh, something that 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 was his. Uh, so moving forward, we have to we have to find uh, we have to find parts of our our overall team play that we need him to excel in, and, and he'll do that. Uh, you know, with, uh, bring bringing bring Folker in. I, I think we tried to play him on left. We were hoping that 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 uh, either Petro Falk or Pranko would have taken to uh, to the left side like a duck does to water. That didn't happen. So you know, it it, it was a it was a, a work in progress all year for, for him and for us. Okay, now to Petrangelo, and I know that here we sit in 2020, and you're looking to 2023 and 2024. And back in 2017 and 18, you were looking to the off season of 2020, and you saw that Alex Petrangelo contract on the horizon. So when you make trades like you did for Falk, or when you sign Gunnarsson to the extension, or when you, uh, you put your puzzle together. I would have to think, Army, that part of that puzzle was with the thought that here's a premier guy that is going to be hard to sign. So a lot of moves you make are in case he's not back anymore. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I think, you know, as a, <clears throat> I think we said this, and I met with Alex uh, very soon after we won the championship in, in July, that he was a priority player for us and we wanted to get something done. And uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to, and you can't, you cannot, take care of the whole organization and hoping and waiting one thing happens. Uh, So whether it was the sign 
scan the treaty for or scan and sign his scandella re-upping gunny uh, moving ahead with shen uh do, doing those certain things you know it, it wasn't it wasn't at the cost of alex or we hope it's not at the cost of alex but we also had to make sure we were doing things that that were good for the organization regardless of whatever decision that that, that he makes uh with and, and we make together let's not i'm not just pinning this on him it's a it's going to be a joint effort uh, to to get him in the fold here and i'm hoping to do it i think i i'm you know I, until he's not here he's here and and and, and i want to keep him here as long as possible but yeah you have you have to you have to rub a crystal ball and, and do the you know hope for the best plan for the worst and do some what ifs Doug Armstrong, one last thing. How do you feel about this team, whether you start in December or whether it's January, whether or not you have number 27 on the blue line, is this still a cup contender in your mind? I believe it is. I think that uh, when we we acquired Bozak and and Perron and O'Reilly in the summer, uh, a couple of summers ago, we felt we were entering a five-year window because we had... We had Pranko, uh, you know, we, we had Schwartz, uh, you know, we're different guys that were going to be here for a long, for a long number of years. This year we have two players. We really have one unrestricted free agents uh, is Alex and we, we'd like to get that done. Uh, but we, we think that uh, I, I like our team. I, I do. I, I think I'm hoping that the, the reality is we're much closer to the 70 games than we were the last eight. Uh, and that we learn from that. I think next year is going to be a lot like like the, this uh, this bubble hockey playoff format that we're in now. At that, uh, we don't like. This is the first year that I, that I've been in hockey that you don't know when uh, training camp's going to start. You don't know when the first game's going to start. Uh, you know, so you 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 can't prepare for. You know, you have to prepare like you're going to play. And I I I say it's a lot like a lockout situation where you. Where you you have a date, but you're you're not you know 100 sure it's going to come to that date. And you have to prepare mentally and physically like it's going to be there. And what what can happen for our group or for for any player is that uh, thinking you're not going to play, finding out you're going to play, and say, okay, well, I'll get in shape now. That that that's not going to work. Doug Armstrong, we always appreciate the generosity of your time that you spend with us. Thanks so much. Enjoy your off season. I'm sure that we'll be talking. And take care of yourself. Have a great day. Well, thank you very much for having me on, and take care. See you later. That is Blues Poho, President of Hockey Operations and General Manager Doug Armstrong. A lot of good stuff there. Absolutely. Great conversation with Army. I'm sure we'll recap it here soon. And I I always like to be validated by people that know what they're talking about. And so for all of my discussion about Jaden Schwartz, I'm glad to hear him say that Schwartz is an important part of this team. And that's just not a guy, Michelle, that they can afford to get rid of during this offseason. As a matter of fact, I'd be more inclined if I were them to try to re-sign him rather than move him on. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Coming up, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 837. It is time for the fight. Let's welcome in our challenger today. John is with us. Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys? We are doing well. You ready to take on Randy? 
Uh, sure am. <laughs> oh, come on. We need a little bit more enthusiasm. We need some more confidence out of you, John. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I'll do my best. All right, cool. Well, question number one. The Cardinals have a doubleheader against the Pirates today. What was the last year the Pirates made the playoffs? Was it 2014, 2015, or 2016? Hmm. Let's go with uh, 2014. All right, question number two for you, John. How many times did the Cardinals make the playoffs in the 1990s? That's 1990 through 1999. Was it one, two, or three times? Uh, let's see. I don't think they started making it until around 96. So uh, let's go with twice. Okay, John. Question number three. Since 2000, what NBA team has won the most championships? Is it the Lakers, the Warriors, or the Spurs? Um, since 2000... Let's go uh, with the Lakers. And your final question, John. Who leads the Blues all-time and wins as a goalie? Is it Mike Liute, Curtis Joseph, or Jake Allen? Uh, Let's go with Cujo. Okay. Checking score here. Randy is on his way back in. John, how do you feel now that you've completed the fight? Do you feel even more confident than you did before? (laughs) Um, Yeah, probably about 50-50. We'll see what happens. Was there any question in particular that you felt good or not good about? Uh, pretty good about the last one, I think, was pretty pretty accurate. But uh, everything else was a little bit sketchy. So A little bit sketchy. I feel you on that one. All right. Well, Randy is getting settled in. We, we see him here. Randy, say good morning to John. Hey, John. How are you? All right. How are you this morning, Randy? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. No All problem. Right. Thank you. Randy, question number one. The Cardinals have a doubleheader against the Pirates today. What was the last year the Pirates made the playoffs? Was it 13 or 14? The Cardinals beat them in 13. I don't know if they came back and made the playoffs in 14, but I'm going to go with the Cardinals knocking them out in uh, the 13 NLDS. I'm going to go with 13. All right, question number two for you, Randy. How many times did the Cardinals make the playoffs in the 1990s? That's 1990 through 1999. Well, they certainly didn't make them in 90 through 95, then did in 96, but didn't in 97 or 98 or 99. So they made the playoffs once in that decade. Randy, question number three. Since 2000, what NBA team has won the most championships? Since 2000, well, you've got... The Lakers with their five, and it's because San Antonio won a couple before they won in '98, and they won five total. So I don't think it's them. It's not the Heat. It's not the Warriors. It's not the Mavs. I think since this includes 2000, correct. I'm going to go with the Lakers with five. And your final question, Randy. Who leads the Blues all-time and wins as a goalie? If I'm not mistaken, we're still at Mike Liute. I'm going to go with Mike Liute. All right, we've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carriker. 
brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Sorry, John. Randy came out swinging today. He beat you 3-1. to one. Let's run through the answers here. The last time the Pirates made the playoffs was 2015. 15, okay. The Cardinals only made the playoffs one time in the 1990s. As Randy mentioned, 1996. Since 2000, the Lakers have won the most championships in the NBA with five. And Mike Liute leads the Blues all-time and wins as a goalie. John, thank you so much for playing. Uh, thank you. All right, thank you, John. Yeah, uh, 2015, Cubs and Pirates played in the wild card game, right? And the Cardinals have won 100 games and won the division. So, yeah, 2015 makes sense. And now the Pirates are not so great. Uh, thanks for joining us on the fight. Speaking of the Pirates, we're going to talk to Tim Benz of the Pittsburgh Tribu- Tribune Review. He's a columnist for that paper, and he'll join us to preview this upcoming doubleheader next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Character. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals and Pirates play a doubleheader today. Tim Benz is a columnist for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, and he joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Tim, thanks so much for taking some time with Michelle and I. How are you? Glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, let's start with this. There were a lot of changes in the Pirates organization over the course of the offseason. New president, new GM, new manager. I I would assume that even if the season had been a regular season, that what we're seeing from the Pirates is what we would have seen. You're right. Yes, that would have been the case. Um, Thankfully, there's almost an element of relief that it's not a full season because there's sort of a macabre fascination with watching how bad this team can be and that can maintain curiosity for about a 60 game sprint (laughs) or at this point slog for them but had it been 162 i think the uh, curious fascination over chasing potentially the worst winning percentage in the history of baseball would have turned into utter frustration and the realization that you're right while they did shift some deck chairs around and, and change the GM and the manager. But with the owner still in place and the lack of willingness to spend, I think over 162, everybody in Pittsburgh would have very quickly said, wow, we're going to look at five more years of the same thing. Um, it's, in a weird way, the fascination exists because the season is so short. It, it allows you to stay clued in uh, a little bit easier. Uh, 162 would have been unbear- unbearable. Tim, I want to zero in on the managerial change. Whenever that happens and you move on from somebody like Clint Hurdle, it's because you want to shake things up. You want a culture change. So what is it about Derek Shelton from an identity standpoint that the Pirates are hoping to implement? Uh, enthusiasm, connectivity. Uh, he's really engaged with the young players on the team. Had there been fans at the stadium and had they been at all competitive, I think he would have been engaged with them very much. Uh, He's very personable. Um, They needed someone who was able to keep a clubhouse together because by the end, Clint Hurdle could not. That clubhouse was a mess last year. I mean, they're fighting with each other. The Vasquez situation was an utter debacle uh, even before he got arrested. So I think they were wise to get a guy who was as easy to deal with for the players and as personable as he is through this year because at least they can get to the 60 games, it appears, 
without much incident from the players, and that'll be much easier to do when and if they ever get rid of Keone Kella because he's incendiary himself. Um, if he's healthy enough to trade, that'll make that part easier to get through the rest of this season. I guess one of the other things, well, uh, maybe the biggest thing that the Pirates have dealt with, there's two. You mentioned the owner, Bob Nutting, not wanting to spend, and I would think that he's probably pocketing a little bit of revenue-sharing money. But when you make trades and you move guys like Garrett Cole and uh, make that trade with Tampa for Chris Archer and don't really get anything back in return, that's devastating to a franchise. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Andrew McCutcheon deal looked like it was going to yield something with Brian Reynolds and uh, with Kyle Crick. But Crick's been bad last year and to start this year when he was able to pitch. And Reynolds has definitely taken a step back, sophomore slump after finishing fourth in the rookie of the year balloting. And, you know, they always seem to do this. Uh, whenever they trade away one of their players, it becomes an all-star for somebody else. And that's just commonplace around here. We're used to it. They never seem to get the next great prospect. They get the other team's batch of sixth, seventh, tenth, eleventh guys, and then sort of spread them around throughout the minors. And when they come up, they are very rarely potential superstars like Reynolds feels as close to things they've gotten for the guys that they've dealt away in that context. Even when the cold trade happened, it's not like people were hyper enthusiastic about any of the four guys that came back in return. It was just like, eh, well, let's see if they catch a diamond in the rough. And some of them have been okay, but you know, very few have, have really lit the world on fire for an extended period of time. And obviously the Pirates probably aren't going to be able to spend $324 million to keep a guy like Garrett Cole. But I have to believe the sense in Pittsburgh, and I would think the sense around baseball is, is that nutting is probably making some money for him that could go to players, right? Right, exactly. I mean, Cole was a little bit of a different thing because he was a Scott Boris guy, and you know how petulant Cole can be when he's not happy. So... I think part of what they were getting at when they moved him when they did was, um, you know, if we give him away a little bit early, at least we don't have to deal with him when he's being pouty and brooding, and maybe that gives us a little bit more return. But, you know, the the mentality of it, my mentality with them now is every now and then just let a contract expire. Like, you know, that's what I was thinking about with Starling Marte. They are not fielding right now a Major League Baseball team. And you get a guy, uh, the two prospects back from Marte who are years away from contributing, and uh, he's still, in theory, if he was healthy, could have contributed for them this year and given them a, at least a professional outfield. So they don't have to move Cole Tucker there um, just to get him at bats and take a look at him when Cole Tucker's a shortstop. And now he's playing the outfield on a regular basis. So like, every now and then, if you're, just, if you're not going to get much in return anyway, draft better, develop better with your own guys, and just hold on to guys and let their contracts expire because the trade value coming back in return for them is not the value that you should be getting. Tim, what sort of activity do you anticipate seeing from the Pirates as the trade deadline approaches? And if you expect them to be active, what are some names we should pay attention to? Well, uh, the names that are getting thrown around, um, I guess it's not real good news when one of the guys who's the most hotly rumored goes out and gives up eight runs uh, the day that he first appears in trade rumors. That was Trevor Williams yesterday. Uh, he got smoked. Uh, I've seen Williams and Cool, who pitches today against St. Louis, uh, linked to the Toronto Blue Jays because they've gotten to 500 on the fringes of making the expanded playoffs 
and they have some banged up pitchers. So those are two names uh, to keep an eye on. Adam Frazier, who last year won the gold or was the uh, Gold Glove candidate at second base, can bounce just around anywhere. When his back gets hot, he's a useful, especially left-handed hitter. Um, that would be a name to watch if they can convince somebody that Kella is healthy and you need a right arm out of the bullpen that's barely thrown this year. Um, you know, he's good when he's on. He's just a real pain to deal with in the locker room if you want to deal with him uh, just for a short time to get you over the hump for a playoff push this year. That might be a guy. And, um, I don't know, Eric Gonzalez has been good this year since coming back from injury. He could play pretty much anywhere in the infield. Good glove, better bat than what they thought this season. Uh, they've got lots of other middle infielders in the system, so maybe they get something for Gonzalez. And then the big question is Josh Bell. Um, it was an all-star last year, two of the greatest months in Pirates history at the plate, but has not been good since basically June of last year and is currently hitting 189 and at times has looked lost at the plate. But there's tremendous potential and raw power there, especially for an American League team that might just want a DH. Tim Benz from the Pittsburgh Tribune Review with us on 101 ESPN. A couple more quick things, Tim. Number one, I remember back in the day talking to Jim Tracy and more recently to Clint Hurdle, and both in their own way said, what we want to do is be like the Cardinals. Similar market sizes. Obviously, the Cardinals are number one here, and the the Pirates aren't number one in that town. But if done right, it seems to me that in that market, the Pirates could do good things for a sustained period of time. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, that three-year run they had, that was pretty good. They made the playoffs three years in a row and uh, won 90-plus games each year. But the lack of willingness to keep the window open in 2016 is emblematic of what's been going on here for the last 30 years. Um, now, in theory, that three-year run really could have been a five-year run. They just faded so badly in Hurdle's first two years where those players just weren't ready to win. Um, you know, otherwise it could have been five really interesting falls, autumns here for baseball in Pittsburgh. Um, but, you know, for a market of this size, I, I think the, the big difference is between St. Louis and Pittsburgh. It's not so much market size as it is ownership who has the pipeline, ownership who has the pockets, ownership who knows how to spend and what it takes to win at the very top in baseball as opposed to uh, holding on to the team to make a profit, which is more of what I feel like happens here in Pittsburgh. Finally, Tim, as someone who for many years has had a fantasy football team named the Globo Jim Purple Cobras, <laughs> I really appreciate your uh, White Goodman cover photo on your Twitter page. <laughs> <laughs> Dodgeball is an American classic. Uh, it is a vastly underrated film, in my opinion. And uh, I, I still insist that Lance Armstrong is one of the great athlete cameos of all time in that movie. So... Um, you know, much much like the much like the pirates themselves, he felt shame, and uh, that's the way it is around here, baseball wise, for about six months per season. Tim, great stuff. Thanks so much for taking some time this morning. Have a great day. Anytime, pleasure being on. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks. Take care. That is Tim Benz from the Pittsburgh Tribune Review joining us on 101 ESPN and a fan of dodgeball, so a friend of mine. Randy, all you need to know is the five Ds, all right? Dodge, dip, duck, dive, and dodge. Dodge. (laughs) We know them all. (laughs) Coming up next as we roll on on 101 ESPN, today's big thing. The NBA decided not to play last night. Are they going to play tonight? And a little bit more about uh, Vladimir Tarasenko coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
9.03 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And a couple of things. We're, and we want to touch on the Mets and specifically Dominic Smith last night. But, Michelle, we got some great stuff from Doug Armstrong, and we're going to revisit some of that at 9.30. But I thought it was interesting when we asked him about his confidence level in Vladimir Tarasenko. It wasn't exactly my hot take where I said he'd come back and score 30 or 35 goals again. He did express concern about Vladdy being 30 and this being the third shoulder surgery, which is logical. Every time you have a surgery, you aren't what you were before. And as you get older, surgeries, especially as invasive as this one, take more and more of a toll. You also have to wonder, Randy, not only from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, what that does to a player. The grind of coming back and rehabbing, not once, not twice, but three times, and then wondering when you hit the ice about going 100%, about sustaining hits, about turning certain ways, because you are maybe nervous about re-aggravating that. It might not even be something that consciously you're thinking you're you're doing, but I can imagine that that would take a toll on you physically and mentally. And especially for what Vladdy has been through. And he went to Instagram last night and wrote this. Hi, everyone. I think it's about time to say something. One, obviously a long season, a long year, missing playing games, but it is what it is. The last few months I felt like something was wrong, but still tried to play. Then we found out what it is when I got back home from the bubble. To take some speculation away, no, I'm not done. My career is not done. There was a problem which being found finally, uh, which was found finally. So I'm more motivated than ever to finally get healthy and play. I hope and believe that doctors will do their job, fix the problem, and there is a solution for that. So I can't wait to get it done and start working on coming back, playing hockey, scoring goals, and enjoying the game again. So obviously the problem was not initially fixed. The way that Doug Armstrong couched it yesterday, Michelle, is that the, the surgery didn't take. But the sense I get with Vladdy is that there was a problem that they hadn't found before that they hope they'll be able to alleviate with this next surgery. Yeah, you certainly hope so, but that has to be so frustrating for him to think that he endured a surgery, endured the rehab, was given clearance that he was ready to go, and then this entire time there was a problem in there that wasn't fixed. That, again, would, I think, have an impact on you mentally, that you were told by doctors, hey, you're ready to go, go out on the ice, and then when you don't feel that something is right, then it's, oh, yeah, there's another problem that we didn't fix before. And what you're thinking, I would have to believe, is as you rehab, yeah, there's going to be soreness. It's not going to feel right. But then when it never got better and the doctor said, well, you should be getting better, that's real bothersome. I've had invasive surgery and it takes a long time to come back, especially when they're getting into nerves and things like that. My surgery wasn't on a joint, but it does take a long time to rebound from a surgery and be just know mentally that you're fine. And obviously, he reached a point where he knew he wasn't fine, so he had to go back to the doctors. And we spoke to Doug Armstrong, Randy, earlier in the show. We asked him about Alex Petrangelo and the process required for Army to figure out if they can make a deal with Petro. But imagine being Doug Armstrong and having that on your plate already, which is a difficult formula to figure out, all the while wondering if one of your most talented players, a 30-plus goal scorer a year, is ever going to be the same and how that is going to change the look and feel and production of this team. It's... He said when he spoke to us that he's certainly hoping that everything is going to turn out well, but that can't be an easy thing to try to factor into the construction of your team when you're potentially removing your captain and one of your best players in Alex Petrangelo. And arguably, your two best players. You could argue that 
Tarasenko is your best forward and Petrangelo is your best defenseman, right? So it, it is. It's a tough situation. That's a real puzzle for Doug Armstrong. Meanwhile, yesterday afternoon, a domino effect started when the Bucks and Magic didn't play their NBA game. And subsequently, all three NBA games yesterday were canceled. The entire WNBA, the entire MLS was shut down. And the Cardinals didn't have Jack Flaherty last night. He wasn't going to pitch anyway, but he was a healthy scratch, along with Dexter Fowler, who sat out. In addition to the Cardinals players sitting out, you had several other games. Angels, Astros, Mariners, Padres, uh, Reds, Brewers, Dodgers, Giants that were postponed. And another player in Major League Baseball, Michelle, that sat out was Dominic Smith of the New York Mets. But he did speak to the media. And this is the emotional reaction of Dominic Smith to what's happened not only over the course of the last week, but pretty much for the last six years or more that has affected a young African-American man in our country. I've been very emotional. Um, yeah, just to kind of see this, you know, continuously happen. So, um, yeah, it was a long day for me. So <laughs> I kind of wasn't there mentally, but we'll be all right. I think the most difficult part is to see, like, people still don't care. And for for this, it just continuously happened. I mean, it just shows um, just the hate in people's heart. And, I mean, I mean that, that just sucks, you know? And being a black man in America, it's, it's not easy. So, I mean... Like I said, you know, I, I just, I wasn't there today, but I'll, I'll bounce back. I'll be fine. That is just so heartbreaking. And as much as we try to, and we do sympathize, empathize with a guy like Dominic Smith, there's no way that we can put ourselves. Uh, hey, I, I'm a privileged 58-year-old white male. I can't put myself in the shoes of an African-American man who has time and again seen people that look like him on video getting shot or being attacked or being killed in the streets. So I totally get where those guys are coming from in trying to make a change to society. And we do have to make a change to society. We have to value life more. We have to get to we, we have to like each other more. Michelle, you and I were talking about this off the air yesterday. The, 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 the key for other countries, if you want to beat a country, is to divide and then conquer. And we are a divided country right now. We have to somehow come together. And when I listen to Jack Flaherty's talk, that's what he wants. He wants a unified country. He wants to bring people together. And what we're seeing when people are killing other people doesn't help bring people together. When you listen to Dom Smith talk like that, Randy, I don't know how just human being to human being you can't feel his pain and you can't empathize with him and ask yourself 
why does he feel this way and what can I do to help alleviate this? Because he is not the only one that is talking about this or experiencing this or feeling this. And members of the black community have been telling us about this for a long time. We're talking about it right now because it's happening in the world of sports. It's the biggest issue right now in the world of sports. When you have games being postponed where players are saying this is an issue that is so prevalent and that has to stop that I am willing to not play in a quest towards a championship that I have worked my entire life towards for you to listen to me, for you to understand why change needs to happen. And it's it's hard for me to understand why people wouldn't take a step back and say, okay, I see what is happening. I see the pain that you're in and I see that change needs to happen. And I can't imagine what some of these players feel when not only they see these videos on their timelines and social media and the the problems that they know are happening in our community and in America. But then when people try to say to them, but this, but that, it's never, yes, this is the issue. Let's identify it and come to a solution. It's, but this, that has to be very challenging. And uh, I could just add the, the only real strong personal experience I have with this is that my son's high school best friend, teammate on the football team, a a great young African-American man with a beautiful smile and the nicest kid you'd ever want to know. And we talk at our house about what it must be like to be this kid's parents and have him go out at night and not know if he's going to come back. Can you imagine that? I can't. It's unbelievable to, to think that people have to live their lives in that sort of fear for their children it's it's unimaginable to me and i so uh, uh, well, again i can't put myself in the shoes of of those people but i think about it i try to and it scares the hell out of me for them and we're talking about human life yeah you know and it's frustrating too when you try to have these conversations and people want to say, why are you being anti-police? That's not that's not no, the conversation not that we're trying to have here. We're talking about life. We're talking about protecting people's lives. Yep. And, and, and valuing life and respecting and valuing life. life. Absolutely. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk about what's happening in Milwaukee with Dario Melendez of 97.3 The Game and Fox Sports Milwaukee. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Character, and there's a lot going on in Milwaukee. And we are joined now by Dario Melendez of 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee, along with Fox Sports Wisconsin. He is on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Dario, great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? The Celebrity Line. I like the ring of that. (laughs) That's that's something to hold over my wife's head. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, let's start with this. It has been a crazy 24 hours in Milwaukee. How is the community reacting? We've been through it here, Dario, with Ferguson, but not to the extent where it affected sports and what we talk about in our little, what used to be the toy box of life. So how, how is the Milwaukee community reacting? Reacting to the Brewers and the Bucks not playing yesterday, um, they were reacting really well. I mean, I, I was expecting 
to be honest, I didn't know really what to expect, but it's really positive. Um, the outpour, the cry for the social injustice that's happening down in Kenosha right now, it's been overwhelming. Obviously, we have, I think, in every state elected officials that kind of just sit back and, and watch what happens instead of leading and leave it to our professional teams here, the Bucks and the Brewers, to take the lead on this. And the fans have been right behind them. And that's, I think, what's the most positive to me. I mean, obviously, there's a division right now in our country, and it, it's been really cool to see that these two franchises have united to help bring the community that supports them together. Dario, can you take us through the process or what you know the process to be uh, that led up to Milwaukee and Orlando making this decision to postpone the game? So obviously, with Sterling Brown, um, his incident with police officers a few years ago, social injustice has been a huge focus with the Bucks over the past few years. And George Hill, their backup guard, point guard right now, who the Bucks acquired a few years ago, he's always been extremely involved in the community when it comes to social injustice. So after the shooting of Jacob Blake a few days ago in Kenosha, which is 35, 40 miles down the road from Milwaukee, there had been a lot of talk yesterday. You saw DJ Wilson take to Twitter asking him or saying, don't ask me about my day. It's not going well. Um, They were in the protests here in Milwaukee after the incident in Minneapolis. So this, team has definitely made social injustice the focal point so when they got to the arena yesterday down in the orlando bubble they were ready to play they were about to go out and then all of a sudden george hill says guys we need to take a pause we need to talk about this and we need to make a stand and then they decided to go out and not to go out and instead they stayed together put a statement together tried to get a hold of the wisconsin uh, attorney general the lieutenant governor as well demanding for change and that's all this is about there's no right or wrong here. I mean, everybody needs to listen to one another. And that's the problem. There's no listening. So that's the, the issue that the Bucks are trying to get to with this movement. You don't need sports right now. We don't need the distraction. People just need to take a break, listen to each other, and figure out the best solution to protect the black community, as well as get police officers better trained and better equipped to handle situations. Dario Melendez of 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee joining us here on 101 ESPN. And Dario, I think that the last point you made there about the Bucks players getting in touch with government officials is the, the most salient one for me. Because I remember when the, the Baltimore Ravens brought Colin Kaepernick in to work him out. And they said, hey, we want to help you with your initiatives. But he couldn't articulate what his end game was. And it seemed like the Bucks went into this with clear eyes as to what they want to accomplish by not playing the game. Without a doubt. And look, that just goes to the Bucks' leadership. And you have to remember the, the ownership group, Alex Lazary, the son of um, one of the, the Bucks' owners, was the head of the DNC party to bring the DNC to Milwaukee. So they're obviously involved in politics. They have uh, a person within their organization that's extremely attached to U.S. politics and state politics. So they have something that the normal citizenry doesn't have, and that's a direct connection to Addison. So they were able to, after I would say probably two or three days to kind of sit on it, and then obviously the rioters, the rioters and the protesters being shot um, in Kenosha by I mean, vigilante militia. I mean, they had the opportunity to, to make a stand. And because they have a unique platform with 
unique connections that most of us don't have, they were able to take advantage of it. And that goes, I mean, just to the players, but up through ownership and management. So it really is a, um, it's crazy to say that historic moment, because you don't really realize history once you're living in the moment. But I mean, down the road, this could be a historic turning point. It's cool to see that it started with the Bucks. Dario, last night the Lakers and the Clippers voted to walk out on the remainder of the postseason, and they're going to have a meeting pretty shortly here around 10 a.m. Central uh, to flesh out the details and, and possibly make a final decision on the future of the postseason. We know that this is an important issue for the Bucks, but this is also a team that's in a good position to potentially win a championship. So how do you think it would be received in Milwaukee if the postseason ends? Uh, to be honest, Milwaukee fans would consider a kick in the uh, lower region. <laughs> it seems like every time the uh, Milwaukee team gets close, something like this happens. Not obviously social injustice, but something bad gets in their way. And I know in 82, still can't get over the Cardinals uh, denying them of a World Series title. Um, those are the only two teams that decided to walk out. Everybody else, and there's been multiple reports from the bubble that players want to see this end. They see how the influence of being in the bubble can affect the outside. I think last night there were a lot of, a lot of emotions. And when you let take action, you don't usually get the best result. So the meeting ended. I think everybody went to their corners. They're going to get a good night's sleep and they're going to reconvene. And look, if they ultimately decide that protesting the NBA season is worth, um, worth it, worth this cause, it, the Bucks fans. Really, I think they all realize the type of voice they have from the because look what they did. I mean, a team that is that is sequestered in a isolated part of the world right now was able to make this type of conversation happen. You don't get that everywhere else. So their impact from the bubble is definitely significant, and I hope they all see that. Dario Melendez, I have to ask you a baseball question because the Cardinals play the Brewers in mid-September, five games in three days, and then end the season against the Brewers here with five games in four days, so nine games against the Brewers left, and we're hearing that the Brewers might be at least considering moving Josh Hader. Is that true? Could you envision them moving Josh Hader at the deadline? Uh, the Brewers are as much interested in trading Josh Hader as they are Christian Yelich. Okay. So David Stearns is <laughs> David Stearns is always going to take calls. And I'm telling you right now, if they do move Josh Hader, it'll be one of the best things that ever happened in the Brewers franchise history because all they will get for him will be astronomical. I mean, David Stearns is a really good GM. He's going to do everything in his power to make this team win, not just this year, but in the future. So if David Stearns decides that the deal he is getting from any team to take Josh Hader, I mean, it's going to be a damn good deal. So unless the, unless the team's willing to give up their apartment, I mean, five or six top prospects and an MLB-ready player now, I mean, Josh Hader is going to be in a Brewers uniform until 2024. It's always good to have a pitcher that never gives up a hit. Oh, yeah, isn't that bad? I mean, it's not a bad thing, right? (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Dario, great stuff. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. We do appreciate it, and uh, stay safe. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Dario Melendez from 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee and Fox Sports Wisconsin with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, we had an opportunity to talk to... Doug Armstrong, the Blues president of hockey operations earlier, will review some of that, break it down next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you on 101 ESPN. We had the chance to talk to the Blues Poho and general manager, Poho being president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong, earlier this morning. And Michelle, I think we got a lot of new information out of Army. And obviously the thing that people want to talk about is Alex Petrangelo. And we're going to discuss him further on tomorrow's show. But I was surprised by how open and candid he was about the Blues heading into that bubble and how they weren't really where they needed to be to succeed. Absolutely. And credit to him and Craig Bruby, who have both acknowledged that they weren't to the level that they needed to be and how difficult it was to enter that situation, not where you needed to be and then play catch up. But it just seems like there were a lot of factors looking back on this that adversely affected the Blues in ways that they didn't affect other teams. And as he mentioned, about 20 percent of the team dealt with COVID-19 before they even went to the bubble. And then you've got multiple players that are either with new children at home or their wives are expecting it's a, it's a veteran team so perhaps mentally the blues weren't completely invested in starting the bubble uh, i just think our, our mentality going in as i said we 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 seemed to get stronger mentally when we got there uh i think teams were stronger mentally going in there than we were so i think that that had that had something i think that uh, our preparation, uh, you know, whether it was the players that, that, that might have had COVID or other players, we weren't in the same conditioning level we were in the past. And um, I think there's a whole host of, of things that went on. But if you if you just break it down in the, in the simplest form, you know, you look at hockey and probably four segments, uh, you have five-on-five play, both ends of a special team and goaltending. And I thought five-on-five play, I thought we were very good in the Vancouver series, and I think they would probably have had the edge on the other three. And if you went three out of four, you're usually going to win a series, and that's what happened. So the Blues, five on five, fine. Penalty kill, power play, goaltending, not so great. And, Michelle, I always go back, and we didn't ask Army about this, but when you talk about not being as mentally strong, that's part of the Blues game. That's why they won in 2019. And not having that capacity to deal with adversity really was a setback for them, especially in Game 5. There's a difference between bouncing back from a hand pass, knowing that that is something you can control, and entering a completely new environment without your family, without fans. And oh, by the way, you're entering that environment after some of your teammates have just tested positive for this virus, and you've seen the impact that it's taken on them from a physical standpoint. I just think these are things mentally that these guys have never dealt with before, and that they may not have had the tools, uh, they may not have been equipped with the the tools needed to overcome them and that's obviously something that we saw and they aren't going to make excuses for themselves and clearly hearing an army's voice he's disappointed in the way that it played out and the blues now will embark on an off season in which they aren't going to have Vladimir Tarasenko whenever the next season starts Tarasenko is not going to be there they might not I'll say probably will not have Alex Petrangelo, they won't have Jay Bowmeister. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be a different-looking club. So, Army, are they still a cup contender? Well, I, I think they are. And, uh, uh, I, again, 
we have to we have to view what what happened in Edmonton as part of our season, and we have to view the seventy games as part of our season. Also, they're they're though they felt like two distinct uh, years, they they weren't they're were all uh, rolled into one. So there's a lot of positives that we got out there. I can take out of of the seventy games, uh, but when you leave on a sour taste, you you I, I think you know you don't want to overreact to things that we saw there. Uh, but you don't want to under underreact either. So I think right now what we're doing is we're now pro scouting meetings, and obviously I had our staff watch our games. I want to get their viewpoint on on our team play. I want to get their viewpoint on individual players. Uh, Craig and I have had one conversation. We're going to have many more about about what he saw, what 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 we saw as management. Uh, so there, we 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 can't just. We won't just say, well, it was just a, a strange environment and, and, it, and there's nothing there we can gain from our failure. We have to learn from it and we have to get better. And at the end of the day, that's what they have to focus on is getting better and in a different way. Because when they won in 2019, Michelle, it, look back at that defense. Look at Pareko, Bowmeister, Petro, and all the other guys, Bortuzzo contributing at a high level. You had Gunnarsson contributing at a high level. If you don't have Bo Meester and Petrangelo, you might still win a Stanley Cup. A lot of teams have won Stanley Cups without Alex Petrangelo and Jay Bo Meester on them. You'll just have to win it in a different way. True. And what Army says is they're going to have to learn from it. Later on in the interview, he acknowledged that moving forward, we may see a similar type environment. So if the bubble adversely affected the Blues in this manner, well, what if there's a bubble next season? What if um, even if it's at home, there's no fans there? If this is an environment that affected them in a pretty substantial way, they better learn from it because that window could quickly close if that's something that they can't conquer. And it's interesting when you talk about the window of opportunity for the Blues, this window, according to Army, started on July 1st of 2018. I believe it is. I think that uh, when we, we acquired Bozak and, and Perron and O'Reilly in the summer, uh, a couple of summers ago, we felt we were entering a five-year window because we had... We had Pranko, uh, you know, we, we had Schwartz, uh, you know, we're different guys that were going to be here for a long, for a long number of years. This year we have two players. We really have one unrestricted free agents uh, is Alex and we, we'd like to get that done. Uh, but we, we think that uh, I, I like our team. I, I do. I, I think I'm hoping that the, the reality is we're much closer to the 70 games than we were the last eight. Uh, and that we learn from that. I think next year is going to be a lot like like the, this uh, this bubble hockey playoff format that we're in now. That uh, we don't like. This is the first year that I, that I've been in hockey that you don't know when uh, training camp is going to start. You don't know when the first game is going to start. Uh, you know, so you 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 can't prepare for. You know, you have to prepare like you're going to play. And I I I say it's a lot like a lockout situation where you. Where you you have a date, but you're you're not you know, 100% sure it's going to come to that date. And you have to prepare mentally and physically like it's going to be there. And what what can happen for our group or for for any player is that uh, thinking you're not going to play, finding out you're going to play, and say, okay, well, I'll get in shape now. That that that's not going to work. And Michelle, that date is probably roughly December 15th. I think if they have a bubble, that there's going to be a lot of players that opt out. That's just my sense based on what we're hearing from players that really didn't like that bubble. 
Yeah, we haven't heard anyone really come out and say, hey, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> it's definitely something that I could go through again next season. Yeah, and one other note that I think we should take out of this that I did, because uh, I-, I believe this and I was intrigued to get Army's answer about it, I do think that they place a pretty substantial value on having Jaden Schwartz because of their left-wing situation. We, we've we always talked about how do you open up money so that you can keep a guy like Alex Petrangelo. I think you really have to protect Jaden Schwartz, and I got the sense that they're more geared towards, not this year, but maybe trying to sign him long-term next year, because not only of what you have, you don't know about Blay and Sanford, and as we mentioned in the interview, Fabry didn't work out, and Steiner's now heading into his 16th year, and there's not much at left wing on the horizon. So Jaden Schwartz is a pretty important part of this team, and Army said he's one of the four best players that they had in the bubble. Yeah, his value has certainly come into focus here, especially with so many questions surrounding this team. And you know that Army's going to make sev- several moves probably this offseason, and I don't wonder if an extension for him is one of them. Yeah, but, but I think with the cap situation they have, I guess they can do the extension that would start after next year. So that yeah. would be a smart move on their part. And again, he's got a puzzle that he has to put together over the course of the next two or three or four years because not only does he have Schwartz coming up for UFA and Gunnarsson coming up and both goalies coming up for unrestricted free agency next year, but Pareko the year after that. This is going to be a tough puzzle to keep together. But like he said, five-year plan, so you have what you're looking at right now, Michelle, is three more years of this window before your next group of players, your next core group of players steps forward. Randy, maybe this is something that we really marinate on and dive into tomorrow, but just quick reaction. Do you truly believe that the Blues, intact right now, regardless of whether Petro is here or other pieces are moved right now, that they're closer to the 70% we saw before the break or the 30% we saw in the bubble, as Army mentioned? I, It's with Petro... I think they're closer to 70. But without him, I think they're a completely different team. I think he's the bell cow on defense. He's one of the premier defensemen in the league. If they don't have him, then everything changes. And I think they're probably closer to a team that's fighting for a playoff spot rather than fighting for the top spot in the league or at least the conference. And I don't wonder if they're not right now as we sit here as Petro's still on the team, even closer to the 30% because of all the questions that popped up during the bubble. You're you're not only wondering about Vladimir Tarasenko, you're wondering about Alex Steen. You're wondering about your goaltending situation. You're wondering about how that environment impacted them and if that's going to be a similar scenario, how that's going to transfer to next season. What was their calling card? Mental toughness, resilience, resiliency. Those are things that we saw at least a little bit diminished in this scenario. So it just seems seems to me as if while they are capable of being the 70% team that we saw in the first half of the season, that as we sit here right now, I don't know if they are. But you you could also look at those roughly 100 games, 110 games from January 1 of 2019 until March 12th of 2020. You look at that body of work as opposed to the six, seven, eight, nine game body of work in the bubble. I'm going to believe the 110 rather than the 9. That might be naive on my part. It might be hopeful on my part, but that's what I'm going to believe. That's what we want to believe, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Scoops with Danny Mac. We're going to cross things over with the voice of the Cardinals next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Scoops with Danny Mac coming up here on 101 ESPN. Michelle has departed for the day. She'll be back with us tomorrow morning at 7. Dan had a great game last night, got started late, finished late, but the end result was great. It was a, it was a great game, the way it finished up. Uh, Cardinals, the cardiac cards, huh? You they, like that? Yeah, they're, they're kind of finding ways to win games. And, um, you know, in the scheme of things, I... If you're just looking at totally a baseball perspective, that was a really important game. Um, because when you look at the season, you you gotta beat, gotta win that series, man. You gotta you gotta take two out of three out of from the Royals. I think you you gotta win six out of ten from or seven out of ten from the Pirates. You got a doubleheader against the Pirates today. Um, I think the Detroit series, you you've gotta you gotta win those kind of series. So now what do we got? 20 games in. So we're a third of the way of the season in. That's a, hey, we hit a milestone. Yeah. That's a positive <laughs> thing, Randy. Positive. So that's a good thing. Um, kind of an odd uh, uh, feeling at the ballpark yesterday with all the things happening mm-hmm. in our world. But uh, a nice finish to the game. So strictly from a baseball point of view, it was um, a nice, really nice win for the Cardinals. And I have watched... Obviously, all the action this year. And Thanks. even though Colton Wong, I appreciate that, yeah, Randy. It's, hey, it's it's important to me. Awesome. And I, I've listened, but I think one thing that maybe hasn't struck a lot of us is when, when we talk about Mike Schilt and his staff. Three years ago, is there a chance that Colton Wong could have had the at bat that he had to win the game last night? No, and I thought about that. I didn't want to bring it up because I I don't want to rub salt into the wound of. Mike Matheny, but I, you know, when, when Mike was let go, I did say it initially. I don't know if you remember this. I I said the one player that I think is going to take off is, and I really do believe this. And I have felt this at the time was Colton Wong. I just felt that Colton Wong would thrive under Mike Schilt. Those two had a relationship and I I just felt that Colton's the kind of guy that you just, just go let him play. You know, you, you let him play against righties, lefties. You you put him into the, the the lineup, and if you have to make that decision late in the game against a tough lefty, and you sit him down, you, you tell him, "Hey, we're we're gonna, you know, Josh Hader's into the game. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna pinch hit for you, but you're back in there tomorrow, and let him play. Just let him play. Let him let him show his skills. He's a highly skilled player, as we saw with that great double play that he yeah, turned right. last night. Man, that was, was that Ozzie-esque. nice. You, that was a great call, that, because it, it was. It was Ozzie-esque, and, um, and he has. He's he's thrived under Mike Schilt. Those two had a great relationship in the minor leagues, and take the reins off, let the guy go. And he would come up to the plate, and it was my impression, and I don't think it was incorrect, that he was a guy that came up to the plate, and his approach was, I'm going to swing as hard as I can in case I hit it. And last night, he showed, showed such great patience. He went up there with the idea of taking a walk from that guy. The pressure was on Rosario, too, who mm-hmm. couldn't find the plate, also couldn't find his slider. So if he saw a spin out of the hand, just lay off it. And he did. And you could see he just couldn't find it. And then he couldn't find his fastball. And then the bases are loaded. So, you know, all of a sudden, the, the really, the pressure was on. I was really surprised that Mike Matheny did not take Rosenthal out earlier. Now, Mike, I, I think, was going for broke mm-hmm. in, in a couple ways. I think he wanted the series, clearly, against his former team. 
And I think Rosie wanted that series too. You know, Mike yeah. went out and, and got was going maybe going to go get Rosenthal, and you could see Trevor said, "I'm good, I want it." Yeah. Now, any any closer, any pitcher is going to say, "I want it," and if they don't say that, they probably shouldn't be in the big leagues. But you got to take that decision from him. Um, and if you had the lefty up, I thought that's when you go get him and bring the lefty lefty matchup. At that point, he didn't do it, and Rosenthal had pitched the day before, and now he's at thirty plus pitches. That was kind of a tough decision for him to make. And then he didn't want him to face Yachty, and I thought that's yeah. that's when you want him to face. You know, if you're going to go for broke, you might as well just let him face him there. And if you if you're going to lose, you lose with him. If you win, you win with him. Yeah. One other part of that game from Mike's standpoint, I love the idea of squeezing for an insurance run. Don't try to make a guy bunt that can't bunt. And that guy, I didn't can't. like it though. You had a lefty doing it. I, the only way you do it is if that guy, if you know that he's going to get it down, because you, and it's got to be a true squeeze. It can't be a, a exactly. safety squeeze. If you're going to make it work, it has to be a hundred percent that it's going to work. It's got to work. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand that. You got a couple cracks at it. Let him swing the bat. Yeah, and, I, I, I didn't like that either. No, not not from that guy. So today we've got the doubleheader in it. Hey, with everything that happened with COVID nineteen, the saving grace, Danny, for this franchise might be the seven inning doubleheader. Uh, it's got to be. Um, and let's hope we play today. I, I would assume that we are. I haven't looked at the major league schedule. I bet you maybe would know better than I. I'm assuming the Cardinals are one of have to be one of the first games out of the shoot today because it's a day yeah. game. Um, I don't think I don't believe the Pirates played last night. So. Um, with what's happening in our world, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if the Pirates would uh, say we're not going to play today uh, because they didn't have the chance to say we're not going to play last night. It, they have some African American players. Mm-hmm. You know, would they want to not play? I don't know. Um, don't know. You know, you just don't know until you get to the ballpark. Like last night, we didn't know. We we got to the ballpark and you know I was watching uh, up in the booth and. It was 6.40 and then 6.45, and I was saying to Brad Thompson, I said, you know, I'm not sure we're going to play tonight. Yeah. And he's like, I-, I think we will. And I said, I don't know. You know, and I started looking. The grounds crew was getting the field ready. And then I watched Ali Marmol, who was still not in his full uniform, walk out to Dakota Hudson. And I said, I'm not sure we're playing. Because he went out and walked out, and Dakota wasn't getting loose. So he was kind of half stretching, you know what I mean, for lack of a better term, just kind of just you know just almost like uh, what's a, like the Suzanne Summers, you know, oh, yeah. the, doing a little waste, you know, uh-huh. kind of thing, you know, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, trying to give that. you a visual of it. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> what's the calisthenics, I guess, you yeah, know, right. some of those things, um, but hadn't really picked up a baseball and just even played catch. And then the the Royals came out with their catcher and their starter, and they weren't really doing anything either. So we we didn't know what was going on, mm-hmm. and um, and no one at the ballpark really knew what was going on except in that that clubhouse. So I guess we'll find out more when we get to the ballpark, and that and that's the way twenty twenty has been, and you just kind of. You just roll with it. See and Mike what Schilt happens. Did say last night that Fowler will be ready to go today. Good, and I thought they reached. If there is such thing as a happy medium in a situation like this, they reached one with Fowler and and Flaherty not sitting, but with the knowledge that because of the COVID layoff, the Cardinals can't afford to have dates where they don't play. What would it be then, Randy? Ten doubleheaders? Yeah, ten doubleheaders. Yeah, so if they didn't play right. last night. So we we still have nine, including today. Um, obviously, it's very tough. I, I do think you're getting into a situation from a baseball perspective. Like, for instance, last night or Wayno or some of these other guys... KK today could give you seven innings. Yeah. You know, now you're getting to a point where 
the starters are getting stretched out enough to give you a complete game in a seven-inning game. Um, so you're not as heavily relying on your your starter or your um, your bullpen. But still, man, it's it's a lot. It, there is just there's no other way to put it. I'm gonna actually get into some of the numbers um, in my opening segment, uh, talking about just how I think Mike Schilt has really managed this situation well to give them a shot to get into postseason play. He's again, I think there's a couple of times, and I get it, man, from a fan's perspective, you go, why didn't he go to Gantt here, or why didn't you go to Gallegos here? You're managing for the long haul. Yep. You're managing to keep guys healthy, and you may sacrifice the win. Webb gives up a bomb. I get it. You're mm-hmm. you're mm, you're mad. You're yeah. upset, but you're managing for the long haul. And now those guys are going to be fresh. And it's not just the long haul of 2020. It's the long haul of careers of people like sure. Flaherty and Hudson too. Sure. And now you're seeing what's happening with the Cubs. And we both said if the Cubs stay healthy, most talented team. But they aren't healthy, and they aren't all performing anymore. And so now they're only two games ahead of the Cardinals. It's amazing. Yeah, It's absolutely amazing. And I think if we look back on this season and the Cardinals get into postseason play, you will look back at that first road trip and say, how in the heck did they do this? I, I still am. I'm mm-hmm. looking back at Still's that four and going, I, I just, you know, because I'm, I'm tied into the club. So I, I had friends that were in Milwaukee and at that time, and just I would just text them, just say, how you doing? They're like, well, same old, same old, just watching some Netflix, uh, <laughs> waking up, you know, s- sitting in my room. I mean, think about that in a major league season, Randy. Yeah, unreal. It is. That you can't do anything else. It's not just sitting in your room, but it's sitting in your room 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day, and then trying to gear up to play major league teams that have been going full throttle. That is amazing. And and. It's very hard just to say, okay, let's go. Let's just start playing. And now they're in a rhythm of a season. So important doubleheader today. You got Cleveland tomorrow. My understanding, by the way, as I look out the 101 studios, and we do have some clouds, hopefully no rain coming in today. Um, My understanding is in in inclement weather tomorrow. So you may have, and it's supposed to be bad tomorrow. Um, so you may have a doubleheader over the weekend. Got to get this one in today, man. Yeah, let's play. So yeah, let's let's, 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 let's we got to get these two in. Got to get these two in. But they're they're very concerned about really bad weather on on Friday. So um, you might be looking at another doubleheader this weekend. What do we got coming up on a Thursday edition of Scoops? Well, let's go down to Orlando. We're going to visit with um, a guy that um, is in the bubble. And that's Sean Kelly, our, our friend that has been calling the NBA playoffs on ESPN radio. And so his game was affected. One of the games that was affected by the, the postponement of the NBA playoffs and just kind of get boots on the ground and what it, you know, what, what it was like last night. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to get into the political side of what's going on. So I, I don't necessarily just, what was it like down there? You I'm know, not, I'm not a journal person. But I hope there's a lot of people keeping journals over the course of this year. It's crazy. This is the books that we will be able to write about 2020. I said to a friend of mine last night, I said, wouldn't surprise me one bit if we don't play. And this is about, uh, I would say it was about 4.35 o'clock yesterday. He said, oh, you're crazy. He said, we'll, we'll play. And I said, no. I said, wouldn't surprise me. And he said, well, what do you mean? That's the NBA. I said, because the Brewers will not play tonight. And when you when you have one major league team step aside, the Reds were going to be in lockstep with the Brewers. Mm-hmm. And what you may have 
um, or other major league teams that say, hey, we understand this uh, to the greater picture of our society and say, we want to be in lockstep with you. And and I fully understand it. And Mookie Betts, was he drove the entire Giants-Dodgers situation. Sure. It was... It was and by the way, not just Mookie Betts. Gabe Kapler was a big part of that. Sure. But then Mookie Betts, once he decided not to play, the Dodgers said, "Okay, we're on board." Yeah, and um, and you can understand it, you know. Yeah. And that's and I said, if we play, I'll be ready to go. And if we don't, I'll head on home, and we'll just we'll get ready for another double header. We'll be watching you this afternoon at one thirty. All right, but thank we'll you. Be sir. Tuned in now. Well, yes, we got. We got lots of baseball. Want to go through? I, I think it's really interesting. Third of the way through the season, there's some interesting trends with the Cardinals. I'll be l- interested to learn them. Scotty, thanks. Great job by our producer engineer Scott Manziera. Hey, right, thanks, Randy. And Michelle is off to have a great day. She'll be back with us tomorrow morning at seven. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.